I think that, yes, as a, as a community, we've had to go against the norm, the grain, what, what's, you know, the expectation of the heteronormative world. We're just better at embracing change and saying, you know, I'm going to do what feels right for me. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think that sometimes we give up on relationships prematurely. There actually is a way to be able to be happy in a relationship. Welcome to Queer Hustle, where we talk to the hottest up-and-coming queer entrepreneurs about growing businesses, creating dream lifestyles, and taking care of each other. Your host, Michelle Coyle, sits down to work together to explore what's possible when you approach business with full authenticity. Hey everybody, it's Michelle, and this is Queer Hustle, where we talk about how queer entrepreneurs can start up and scale. And today I'm really excited because we have Dr. Linda Spann from the Lesbian Couples Institute. Welcome, Dr. Linda. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I'm Linda Spann. You can just call me Linda. And I'm the founder of the Lesbian Couples Institute. We've been here in Denver for just two years now. I'm super happy to have you. So you work with lesbian couples specifically doing relationship therapy. Why work with lesbians specifically and not heterosexual couples or, or gay men or, or any other combination of folks? Yeah, it's just my, it's my passion. It's, um, I have, I have done all of that other work and just over time niched and narrowed down to really just wanting to help my community of women. And, um, I'm, it's what I'm, passionate about, excited about. And I think there's room in the world for somebody that works just with lesbian couples. Absolutely. So I imagine that you find that lesbian couples have their own, you know, unique challenges or that there are things that come up more often in a lesbian relationship as opposed to other types of relationships. Can you give us a little bit of a window into that? So the the first thing that popped into my mind is the whole U-Haul joke, right? What the lesbians take on their second date. Um, there, There is a tendency for for lesbians to merge much more quickly into, into intimate relationship uh, than all the other configurations. And uh, so that's one thing. And and also, not, not just moving in together, but an emotional and psychological merging happens more frequently and in a sort of a bigger way. And I guess by merging, I'm, I'm talking about the, how we end up losing our identities a little bit, become just sort of the, the we very quickly. And I like to say we lose our edges as individuals. There's more enmeshment. That's another word for merging. That is something that's fairly typical in lesbian couples. I think another thing is that we're as as girls growing into women, we're socialized to be people pleasers and to not argue and and avoid conflict. And so I think that there's a greater tendency in in this configuration of couple to to avoid conflict, to try to acquiesce to, okay, I'll just go with whatever you want because I don't want to rock the boat. And so in my practice, I've seen, I've seen that to be a pretty prevalent uh, struggle. Sometimes people don't even know it's a struggle, but it can kill a relationship. So those are a few things that pop into my head that make working with lesbian couples unique. Well, I got questions about that because two people trying to please each other doesn't sound like the worst, uh, 
type of relationship? <laughs> why, why does that make things difficult? The working together and pleasing is, is a beautiful part. The avoidance of talking about difficult subjects or, or if you really have a, a different opinion or a different desire and not saying so, that's when it becomes a problem. But you're right, we do a really great job of more emotional caregiving and, and taking care of partners than some of those other couples do. And, and another positive is that we tend to speak the same language better, right? Our brains are more similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are similar as to females than if there's a, a male brain in the bunch. So they're definitely strings. I, I wouldn't have it any other way. I, <laughs> I, I definitely prefer the lesbian couple <laughs> arrangement. <laughs> I love that. So you talked a minute ago about wanting to, to, to help your community specifically. Um, obviously, you've been a therapist for many years and done relationship work for many, many years. Uh, but when you look at that, uh, that work in the context of helping the community more broadly, how does that hit for you or, or what do you see the ripple effects of, of that being if you're helping to strengthen lesbian relationships? Well, i tell you, my mission, my goal is to have a lower divorce rate in lesbian couples than in the heterosexual world. And we aren't there yet. Statistically, there, there are actually more divorces in uh, gay and lesbian relationships. I, I just want to empower lesbians, queer women to to figure out how to have amazing relationships that can last if they want them to last. I'm hoping to create a a worldwide uh, epidemic of awesome, thriving lesbian relationships um, someday. Right now, we're focusing on on working in Colorado and the U.S., but I'm hoping to to reach every corner of the world. Worldwide epidemic of... Thriving lesbian relationships. I like that a lot. How, how much of that do you think when you mentioned that divorce rate being higher among LGBTQ couples, do, how much of that do you think is could be attributed to people kind of that are, are, are a little more versed in pursuing their own happiness or, uh, you know, doing maybe not what's not the popular thing already? Obviously, if you're living as an out queer person in right. any iteration, you're already somebody that says, you know, to a certain extent, hey, I'm going to do what makes me happy and this is who I am. Do you think that a lot of the reason that uh, heterosexual couples are staying together more is because people are just more resigned to their situations? Or do, or do you think that there's anything to that? I think that you're on to something. I don't know for sure what, what the research is, but I think that, yes, as a, as a community, we've, we've had to go against the, the, the norm, the grain, what, what's, you know, the expectation of the heteronormative world. We're just better at embracing change and saying, you know, I'm going to do what feels right for me. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think that sometimes we give up on relationships prematurely. There actually is a way to be able to be happy in a relationship. If, if it's fundamentally, you know, some of the right things are in place. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think actually another aspect may be children. And that there's more of a push toward trying to to avoid divorce if there's kids involved. So that may be one of the the other reasons that it's a little bit different right now. Do you ever advise people to get divorced? And if so, what are the circumstances in which you think people should really just go ahead and consider divorce instead of trying to stay together? It's funny because I'm I don't I don't advise either way. I don't think it's my job to advise people on what to do with their most important relationships, right? So I don't advise to stay together or to divorce. I do think there are times where divorce is the right answer if 
people are just in high conflict all the time and they can't figure it out. They're treating each other and they're being mean. And, and certainly if there's any kind of abuse, absolutely people don't need to stay together. I just think there's there's a stretch zone where if given the right skills and tools, people could actually have a phenomenal relationship with the person they picked, the person they're with. And I would prefer people not give up on that prematurely, but are there times that divorce is right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Let's yeah. let's talk about the business aspect of this a little bit. Obviously, running a therapy practice, running a private practice is a business, but you're starting to look beyond that and kind of scale beyond that into the, the whole institute idea, which is, you know, I know has more physical in-person components, has online components. Talk to us about what it looks like to start to scale this concept beyond just the normal one-to-one therapy type service. Yeah. The first thing, the first hurdle I had to get over was the idea that I don't have to just do one-on-one sessions, you know, where it's an hourly. I could reinvent that. I could do something different than what's normative in my field. You guys call it trading dollars for hours or something like that. What's the phrase? Yeah, trading your time for money. Yeah. Yeah. So really to shift into what's the value that I'm providing people versus the time I'm giving them or, or selling them. So that was one of the big shifts. And the other thing is moving from a solopreneur practice to, to having a team, to working, having, having support, staff, and people to help with the online stuff. Eventually, I'm soon, next year, I'll be hiring some other therapists and coaches. And so really, the trying to wrap my head around, okay, I don't have to have just the little old me private practice, I can, I can build something that is, that moves beyond me and that, that can actually some, someday when I'm ready to retire, I can, I can sell that to, to someone else that wants to continue the work. I hope that answered your question. No, absolutely. I mean, I think it's so interesting because there are so many people and therapists and other types of service providers, but also lots and lots of entrepreneurs who are kind of stuck in a one-to-one or solopreneur mm-hmm. model. They're stuck in a selling their, their time for their money, uh, one-to-one type of way. Uh, and then, then, of course, like the, the better you get at something or the more expertise you have, and then not necessarily as a therapist, but in other types of service businesses, yeah. the faster you can do it. If you're still selling hourly, well, then you're, you're actually making less money because something might only taken you five minutes that could have taken you three hours before. When you start to think about the impact that you can have as you move in the scale direction, starting to deliver differently do you get excited by that? What you know? What does that look like versus just being able to kind of help couples one couple at a time? Yeah, it's it's tremendous, and it's it helps me feel on point with my purpose, right? Which is to help as many lesbian couples as I can. And if if I do just thirty hours of client contact, I get to help thirty couples. But if I can create an online group program for lesbian couples it's endless how many couples and that's exciting that's the project I'm working on right now actually is to be able to launch a group coaching program and yeah I'll I'll be able to impact a lot more couples and then they get to impact their world their family their friends I want to create a whole bunch of, of power couples that can be mentors to other lesbians I love that. And that's where that that scaled impact comes in. Um, When we talk about group programs, and obviously we do group programs uh, in my job sometimes as well, 
uh, one of the cool benefits of that is not just that you can help more people at the same time, but also that people in those groups can help each other. How do you see that playing out when you're talking about groups of lesbian couples all working on their relationships together? I'm really excited about that aspect. I think the facilitating community is one of the best things about getting to do online work with groups of people. And I had a couple in here, I, for some reason, I happened to remember that it was in March because it was right, right before everything shut down. They told me we would love to, to be a part of your work with other lesbian couples so that we could get to know what's happening in their relationships, maybe make some friends, get some support, which is hard to come by. So I, I think that's going to be an amazing aspect of, of having an online group coaching program. I do too. And, uh, and we've, and we've talked about this before in the past and, and, and then, you know, obviously the pandemic hit and things changed, but eventually are you thinking about doing these physically like physical retreats for couples or having or building community in a, in a, in a, in real life kind of way? Yeah. My wife, Lisa and I, she happens to be a therapist as well. And many years ago we were, we were just like brainstorming and dreaming about what could be, what we could create. And one of the ideas that we had was to take groups of lesbian couples on a phenomenal adventure or international trip to a really cool spot. Italy is the place that we always think of. And to do like a week-long in-person multi-couple group retreat. So that's one idea. Uh, another one is just to have folks come to a city in the U.S. For, for two or three days and let's hang out and create relationship skills and, and community and fun. And I think once this pandemic is behind us, that'll be, that's going to be a fun part of the work that we do. I know I want to go. I need a girlfriend so I can go. So call, uh, yeah, you got you got to be on the lookout. So let's. I mean, you brought up Lisa. Let's talk about that because you and Lisa now are not only married but your uh, your business partners. You work together. In my experience, sometimes that works really well, and sometimes that's a little dicey. So you know, when when people come to us, couples come to us and say, should should we work together or should I start a business with my spouse? We go, oh, let's ask more questions and figure out because maybe yes, maybe no. What's your experience been partnering with somebody in life and in in business and uh, for other people that are considering that, what kind of mm -hmm. advice would you give to them? For us, it's worked really well. I think one of the things that is helpful is that we, we're very clear about our, our separate roles and our different roles in, in the business. That takes some conversations and figuring out, but that has been really helpful. Um, so for us, it's worked well. We, we also have a lot of, we, we have separateness in our work too. So some collaboration, some separateness. It requires a lot of conversation, though, and, and I think having difficult conversations, being willing to say, okay, I like this, I don't like this, this is what I want, this is what's driving me bananas, you're pissing me off when you do this, and, and just have really upfront conversations. Uh, in contrast, I've, I've had clients who have had businesses together, and they've been disasters, so right. I've, see, I've seen that side, too. For some couples, it's not a good idea. And for others, it, it can work out well, but it requires a, a lot of transparency and, and being, you know, just being willing to, to rumble, as, as Brene Brown calls it, um, and have all manner of conversation. And yeah. then I think it also means that you, you have to find ways to do some of your, your own stuff separately, because you can end up spending too much time together. And so finding ways to carve out individual time or time with other friends or uh, activities 
we've gotten good at saying, I, I love you and I'm crazy about you. And I absolutely have to have some time alone. Yeah. Everybody get a hobby, a separate hobby. Yeah. We've definitely yeah. seen when we worked with couples that that worked well together as business partners, it was that they were either really, really good at setting boundaries and saying, okay, now's our work time and now's our, our date night time or whatever. Or they they weren't, but they just didn't care. Like they would, you know, sometimes there's couples where both people say, yeah, we talk about business all the time and that's fine with both of us. What do you think about yeah. that? Do you guys have, do you and Lisa have specific like, this is work time and this is not time or do you just... We don't have hard rules about that, but we're both able and and frequently say, I'm really sick of talking about work stuff. Let, let's talk about something else. So we don't have any hard and fast rules, but I can see that for some people having that set up and having boundaries around kind of like families where they make the kid turn the cell phone in for dinner, you know, something like that, where you just say, okay, this we're off topic. It's date night. We're not going to talk about work. We love what we do so much. And it's interesting that that's, we don't mind talking about it. But uh, occasionally we're like, mm, I'm done. Let's let's talk about something else. Absolutely. That's where the hobby comes in. So you have something else to talk about, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, so I have a question because obviously a lot, of, uh, a lot of therapists go into practice for themselves and they kind of become de facto business owners, but they're still not thinking of themselves as a business owner necessarily thinking, Oh, I'm a, I'm a therapist. I'm in private. Yes. At what point did you make a mental shift or a deliberate shift from, okay, I'm a business owner and I'm trying to grow a business. Was that always in there or did that happen at some point? It was not. It happened in 2014 and I started my practice in 1997. So it was, a, it was more than 15 years. And that sounds really slow, but most of my colleagues never get there. I mean, I, I remember in general, it was just a feeling of, honestly, I wanted to make more money and I wanted to impact more lives. I knew that there, there's got to be a different way. I mean, I'm, I'm, and I'm going to burn myself out. There's a ceiling on how much you can make and to get to that highest level means working too hard. That's when I hired my first business coach and started you know, started learning about leveraged ways of working. And so, yes, def- there's a point in time and, and I, I had to do a lot of mental shifts to, to understand that I, I, can grow, I can grow a real business, not just a job for myself. Was there, you, you knew specifically 2014, was there like a specific catalyst moment thing that happened where you said, okay, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to do it like this, or I want to think about it differently. I, I was getting burned out. I was getting, I was just getting tired of not making as much money as I would like. And, and I was working more and more and more. Um, so I think it was that. I think it was the fatigue. I'm trying to remember, I, I'm probably, I, I love to read. And so I was probably beginning to read some books about how to grow a therapy practice. And it's been a long, that's six years ago. So no, um, the, last, the last week was like six years. So it's, I get it. It's uh, but it's just kind of interesting sometimes to think, well, what was the breaking point or what was the, the point where, because some people, like you said, they go their whole lives and they never, mm-hmm. they never make that shift or, and that's fine. Other people just have something that happens and say, okay, this is, uh, I don't want to do it like this anymore. And that's what I hear a lot is I was getting burnt out. I was exhausted. You know, I was, I, w- I wasn't able to be there for my, you know, my, my family and my friends the way I wanted to, because everything was just kind of going into work. There's got to be a better way. Right. And quite frankly, I was getting bored. Yeah, that was another factor, I think. But I, I need to shake this up. Well, that's a fair. That's a fair answer. Lots of cool stuff comes out of I'm bored, and I need to shake this up. So. Yeah, 
we have a lot of a lot of folks that are that watch this and listen to this uh, are always kind of well. Why do queer hustle? Why does it matter? What does uh, being queer have to do with business? Isn't business advice the same for everybody? Do you think it it, it matters in your experience, and uh, or should we just be giving business tips to everybody? Yeah, I think it matters for for one when queer people can unite and and learn from each other. We get to be a mirror for each other. We get to identify with each other. We don't feel like you know, the the oddball in the sea of everybody. So I, I think in terms of identity and feeling feeling like, yeah, I belong in this space and there's there's mentors and, and other people like me. I think that's that's very important and, and super inspiring. And it's always smart to 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 be we, we call it niching, right? Or f- finding a, a small segment, you're gonna have a much more powerful experience, both as the leader and the entrepreneur and the the community you're building. So absolutely. And that's what I'm doing in, in my business too, is I want, I want to be in this, this community, this space, this group of people as well. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, we talked to lots of different uh, queer entrepreneurs doing all kinds of things. And some of them are, are uh, focused on something that has nothing to do with, with queer people or being queer. And some of them are specifically focused like you on Mm -hmm. helping other queer people do something. And it's a, it's a queer business on multiple, on multiple. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, For our aspiring queer entrepreneurs that are watching this and thinking, you know, I don't know if I want to go into business or not. That's a, that's maybe daunting. What would you say to them? Do it. Just do it. It's amazing to be in your own business. You, There's so much freedom with that. You get to decide what time. I start late in the morning because I don't have an early morning brain. And it's doable. It's To, to use Marie Forleo's language, it's all figureoutable. And one piece of advice is get, get mentorship. Get a coach. Get yourself with a community of other people that are learning because you'll save a ton of time and, and heartache. If you try to do it, the bootstrap all alone method, it's just going to take longer and it's going to be more painful. So absolutely, if you're passionate about something that you want to make a business or, or create, do it. Get some help. That's right. And one of the best pieces of advice I ever got from anybody was, there are no trophies for people who ask for the least help. Go out and That's find great. somebody. I love that line. <laughs> can help you. And ask. Yeah. We're all helping each other. That's the whole point of Queer Hustle. Dr. Linda Span, Lesbian Couples Institute, thank you so much for being here with us today. Oh, thanks for having me. I've had fun. I appreciate you and all the work you're doing too, Michelle. Absolutely. And everybody else, we'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to Queer Hustle. To read the full show notes for this episode, which include a summary, timestamps, and any links mentioned in this episode, please visit michellecoyle.com slash podcast. There, you'll find the information from this episode and any past episodes. If you're enjoying this podcast, please leave us a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com slash queer hustle. Until we meet again next week, go out there and let it shine.